Hello and welcome to the Me and My Golf podcast. We're your hosts and PGA golf coaches, Piers Ward and Andy Proudman. Each week we're going to share with you our 20 plus years of coaching experience to bring you top tips, the latest information and trends, along with some of the world's best in the golf industry to help you play the best golf of your life. So what are we waiting for? Let's get to it and help you take charge of your game. Hello everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. Hope you are doing well. Now we haven't done a podcast for a few weeks just because we've been traveling and a lot of things going on, but uh, we really actually miss doing these podcasts. So we really are gonna make an effort to consistently do these because we feel that we can do a lot more different style content on here that can really add some value to your golf as well. So uh, we are gonna promise that we're gonna do more of these and we've got some great feedback from you guys as well. Indeed, but the one thing we'll say, we have been away doing some really good stuff, haven't we? Two coaching plans filmed yes. in the last couple of weeks. So how to play the long game basics, which will be middle of April launching and then complete putting, which is really cool, which we're thinking is gonna be June. June, yes, exactly. So we have been working, but right, this is gonna be a slightly different podcast uh, today because this is off the back of a, a game of golf that I had over Christmas, actually. I was playing a game of golf and then I, I finished the round and I sort of, we went through this sort of scenario and it was quite a funny story, but there was a lot of take-homes from that story that I thought, well, let's share that with you guys because then there'll be certain things that you can take from that you can add into your game that can certainly help. So It's basically about how you're deluded, isn't it? Really? How I'm deluded, pretty much, yeah. And, uh, and then Pierce is going to share a story. So this is really about sharing our stories on the golf course real life experiences and what you can learn from that and, and, and um, apply to your game pretty much immediately really to see some benefits. So I'll go through my story first and then we'll, yep. go, we'll get into Pierce's. Now I played some golf while I was away in the US for, for over Christmas. I hadn't played that much golf so it was great to get out there and play some golf and um, I played with the next European tour player actually, Matt Blackie. 74th on the European. Something like that, yeah, on the other merit. merit. I think it was 73rd. <laughs> but we um, had, a, had a game of golf, <clears throat> had a match against the rules lady actually who's doing some rules stuff for us, Marcella, Marcella yeah. and her friend Karen. And um, we got to the end of the round, I played pretty solid. Uh, you know, considering I hadn't played much golf, I played really well. And I got to the end of the round and I think we were back at Blackie's house after. And I said, uh, I said, Blackie, I said, I said, I played pretty solid today, actually. I said, we, we played pretty good, didn't we? I said, I don't think I actually missed a green. So this is the end of the round. I, I was happy with my game. I said, I don't think I missed the green. 18 greens in regulation. So 18 greens in regulation pretty is good. what I thought. Now, what happened past that was, as soon as I said I didn't miss a green, Blackie said, well, actually, you missed the first, you missed the, the sixth, you missed the 12th, the 14th, the 15th, and then he reeled off all these greens that I missed. And I was like, okay, I probably missed six greens there. But I finished the game and I was like, I didn't feel like I'd missed any. And then I actually went, I was then, I sort of got into my head a little bit, I thought, okay, well, why did I think that I'd missed, I didn't miss any? And, and how did, and, you know, how I was assessing how I was feeling, you know, about the game as well. I played, played pretty solid, but I didn't think I'd missed any greens. And then, I, and then I thought back to it was, now this is what a lot of the psychologists will tell you as well. They'll say that you remember what you attach emotion to. So if you attach emotion to something, you're gonna, you're gonna store it easy as memory. Now, what I've become very good at over the last few years, since we've gone down the sort of the mindset stuff and, and understanding sort of the, the psychology of golf, is that, I'm, I'm very good at not reacting to a bad shot. So if I hit a bad shot, 
then I'm not going to slam my clubs, I'm not going to show any emotion and I'm not going to let that work me up. Because look, golf is, is a, a game of bad shots, you're going to hit a lot of bad shots every single time you go out. So if every time you go out you, re you react to them, you get annoyed, you get frustrated, it doesn't really serve you. So I hit a, a few bad shots that round, but I didn't react to them. If I missed a green, I just missed a green. I didn't let it bother me. All I was thinking about was the next shot. So I was going to the next golf ball, sorry, to the next shot, just thinking about how can I produce the best score possible from the shots that I'm having. And that made me come off, and I was off, come off the round thinking, I've had a pretty good game of golf today, even though I missed a lot of greens. Now, a couple of good things happen from this. If, if you have a game of golf, and if I would have reacted to every single bad shot that I hit that day, every single miss green, every bad shot, if I came off the golf course, would I still have thought that I've had a good game of golf? Mm. Would that have been different? Now the answer is probably not. I would, have, I would have perceived my game of golf differently if I would have reacted because all those reactions build up and you go, I would have come off thinking, I haven't played very well today. I've missed a lot of greens. I've missed a lot of shots because I've reacted to them. Whereas actually, I didn't react once to any of them. So my perception of the game was, I really enjoyed it because I'm not frustrated by anything, but also me not reacting to those shots hasn't stored as, as memory, didn't remember any bad shots that I hit, and it also didn't affect the shots moving forward. So I didn't carry any negative thoughts or feelings to the next shot. I was constantly focused on the present and doing my best to, to get the ball in the hole, if that makes sense. I think there's so much benefit from that for you guys who who were going out there expecting to hit perfect shots, Pierce. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a, another probably topic of discussion to go off on a tangent, but how many golfers go out there and expect, well, I'm, I, I just want that good game of golf where everything goes right. <laughs> I can't <laughs> hit a bad shot and, and I shouldn't hit bad shots. Well, those guys are going to be constantly disappointed, yeah, Pierce. And one thing that me and you know every single time we go out, especially now we don't play as much, we're going to hit more bad shots, aren't we? Yeah, there's an acceptance of that. So there definitely is. And I think we, we spoke about this before with people that we've, um, when people say to us, oh, you don't play as much golf as you used to, and how do you handle that being, not being able to play at the level you were able to play at potentially. But I think what we, maybe the first few months, we actually did find that it was tricky. So the first sort of full season, we had a chance to play more golf. And we hardly played any golf. We went out there, we didn't play so well. It was like, oh, this is a bit weird. What's going on here? But the more you understand it, the more you go, well, actually, as you said, you accept that you're going to hit bad shots. And then as a result of that, actually, you probably hit less bad shots. And as you said, you're going to re remember less bad shots, yeah. which is a good thing to do. So I, I'm going to go quickly. I mean, I'm, you're saying these things. I'm thinking, I, I think three things came up to me. I'm probably going to forget them by the time I get to the third one. But thinking about, you know, putting significance, tagging emotion. And I think this is actually just after we'd seen Carl Morris, who's now obviously going to be, well, actually hasn't started yet, but he will be recording uh, content soon for me and my golf.com. And Carl obviously is a performance specialist. Him and Jamie Edwards were, were doing some stuff with us with some NLP stuff, neuro-linguistic programming. And I remember them talking about how they would get golfers to tag good shots. So tag them from emotion. So Tiger Woods having 100 shots in his head that he could remember that had some significance to him in the past. So if he needs to play a low fade three wood, he could play that low fade three wood by thinking about that previous shot. But I remember, and this is what I'm going to, I remember seeing a tournament on the European Tour. It was Nicholas Fast, Swedish golfer, played Ryder Cup. He's not playing a great deal of golf now, I don't think. And I, I remember it was on a Thursday, and I saw him knocking about a six-footer for par on about the third or fourth hole. 
And he celebrated, celebrated like he had just won the tournament. So I'm going, why has he done that? But then very quickly I'm thinking, hang on a bit, he's probably working at tagging some emotion, some significance. So anything that he did well, he was very good at tagging it. So that, make, that makes him a more complete mental golfer, if we want, <laughs> or having a good mental side to his game. So if you can start to think along those lines of actually, if you hit a bad shot slamming your club, you're tagging that emotionally. If you hit a good shot, how are you tagging it emotionally? Generally what we'll see when people hit a good shot, they will actually just turn away and won't even think about it. So they'll be on the range, they'll hit a good shot and they'll just drag the next ball in. Whereas they hit a bad shot, they'll slam the club on the floor and they'll swear and they'll do all these negative things which are helping to compound their ability to remember bad shots. Whereas we want you to remember the good shots, not the bad shots. Yeah. So I thought that was very interesting, Nicholas Fast doing that. He definitely got the most out of his career, an, orth an orthodox golf swing, but got the best out of it. You know, yeah. he made a career out of it. My negative example, I told you I'll forget the third one, which I have done. My negative <laughs> example, was um, you didn't touch any emotion to it, Pierce. That's no, why. No, exactly. That's right. Exactly. I should have got it at the beginning. So the, the my second negative example is actually a. He was. I think he was probably a, a senior golfer when this happened. He was a junior golfer. A lad that played junior golf with us. Very good golfer at Oxley Park. He was a plus one, maybe even a plus two golfer at some stage. So if you're shooting around Oxley Park, where the standard scratch would probably be under par, like seventy or even sixty-nine, and you were to get into plus to one or two, you're having to shoot in the mid 60s and the high 60s regular. So you're a good player. So you are shooting in the 60s regular. And this golfer, when he played afterwards, I remember it so many times I'd speak to him and say, how did you get on today? I shot 66, but it should have been a 62 because I putted so badly. And they were always constantly talking about how bad they were at putting. And I'm going on a bit. If I took your stats on putting, I think you're pretty good at putting. But what happened was over a period of time, probably a couple of years of him doing this, he actually got to the point where he got a real problem with his putting, he actually got the yips. So he actually got to the point where he couldn't putt. So now he was shooting in the 70s, his handicap was going up because he couldn't putt. But all he'd been doing for probably at least a couple of years before that is reinforcing the fact that he was bad at putting. So if you think of that, you know, you tell you, if you tell yourself a lie long enough, you'll start to believe it. He was telling himself the lie of, I am a bad putter, until he actually became a bad putter. It's amazing. I think it's really interesting what you can talk yourself into. It is, and it's amazing how, you know, people, look, human beings, we are, we are wired to notice the negativity around us. That, that's sort of primal because that helps us keep us Stay safe. Alive, Whereas, yeah. really, if you think about it, on a golf course, there's no danger out there, really, unless I'm out on the golf course. <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> there's no danger out there on the golf course but we still notice the negative. So if you're somebody who comes in from around a golf and the, the guy he's talking about, I know, if he shot 66 and the first thing he comes in is talking about all his bad shots, I mean, how, you know, he should be coming in and going, I, I shot 66 today, I hold so many putts. And remembering all the good stuff and compounding all that bad stuff that Pierce said there is bringing in all those bad memories and affecting him emotionally, but also physically. And how, how often do you see a kid and you see some of the, the same, for instance, like, like I've, not, I've never skied, but imagine a young kid, five or six year old skier, or a, uh, you know, even with golf as well, you see them and they've got a short, delicate chip shot and they play it with zero fear, absolutely zero fear. Why is it that they play with zero fear? Because they haven't really got any negative experiences of playing that shot. Whereas you put a 50 year old guy who's got to play a, a chip over a bunker to a tight flag off a hard lie, well, he's gonna have all these negative experiences that are gonna influence his performance then. 
So if we can get rid of these negative experiences, start to stack all the positive experiences, we're going to be better um, or more capable when we're faced with these situations to actually look at it in a positive way and not be so yeah. nervous or anxious. So I think the lesson that I'd like you guys to, to, to take from this today, there's a couple of things really. The first thing is, is to react positively even when you hit a bad shot. So if you hit a bad shot, look, let it just go. Understand that, I mean, there's two things. Let me go through back that again. The first thing is, is have some realistic expectations. When you go on the golf course, before you step on the golf course, I think it's so important to acknowledge that you are going to hit bad shots that day. Because if you're going on the golf course expecting to not hit a bad shot, you're gonna be disappointed. So that's the first thing, to just accept the bad shot. Now again, the level of bad shots will depend on the level you are. If you're a two handicap golfer, well look, if you're not gonna expect loads of bad shots. But if you're a 20 handicap, well look, yeah, you're probably gonna hit a few more bad, bad shots than the two handicap. So just, you know, based that on where you are, and then you can, then you can deal with them when they, come, when they come around. The second thing is, if you hit a bad shot, work really hard on not reacting. So don't react, don't show the emotion on those shots. Either laugh, laugh is a good way of doing it, or just do nothing. Don't, you know, and it takes practice, it takes time yeah. and practice. And we're lucky, we've conditioned this over a number of years where we can just hit a bad shot, accept it, move on, and it doesn't have any influence on the rest of our round. So the other thing is what Pierre said, start remembering the good shots, start tagging the good shots. Tiger Woods, when he hits a good shot, you see him, he does that twirl. That twirl is him tagging a good shot. He wants to remember that and he wants that to feed his psychology or his brain so he can remember that and sort of and use that again. So that's the second thing. Make sure you tag those good ones. There's one other thing I was going to say. I remember my third, by the way. You remember your third. You've <laughs> got back it back in. I'm yeah. back in. So, yeah, I think it's so important that you can do that because it's, it's going to have a, a positive impact in your game. You're not going to let it affect your game and the shots that you go to next. But also, it's going to enhance the experience. I come off that day after that game of golf and I was like, I had a really good game. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I didn't, I didn't think I'd hit any bad shots. I certainly didn't remember any. So my, my whole experience of that day was a lot more pleasant. Whereas I think there could have been somebody in the same situation. Actually, somebody could have had the identical game of golf to me, finished and had a completely different experience based on how their thought process yeah. was. And I think that is the difference. How somebody thinks to, or how somebody can experience a, a very similar or the same game of golf can totally shape them as a golfer and impact their experience. So I thought it was a really powerful thing that we wanted to share with you, real life experience, but something valuable that you can take from that. So hope so that's useful. I, so I'll, I'll give you my, it should be, because it is definitely useful. Uh, the third thing, which very much goes in with your second anyway, is another way of enhancing your ability to remember these good shots. And, and, and I'm gonna come to another thing as well in a moment, but we will often ask our golfers to keep a, a diary, a, a journal on their golf. So in a, in, if, what would go into a golf journal? So you could put things in there about, you know, what you're practicing at that time, how you're doing with that practice, scoring that practice, what worked in that practice, so you make sure you remember that, what didn't work in that practice. Maybe we should do another podcast tonight because I think there's some definite value in this. But one of the things that you, we would recommend is that when you play golf, you write down the three shots, the three best shots that you hit, but write down everything about them. Don't just write down it was a seven nine to the second hole and I hit it to three feet. Write down everything that you felt, heard and saw in the playing of that shot, after that shot, walking up to seeing the result, 
the fact that Andy's gone, I can't believe you did that. You know, thinking, you know, for me, I'd be thinking about the fact that the sky was nice and blue and the sun was out, hopefully. You know, I will always remember things visually. And to the point where, imagine this, you've got a three-shot diary every time you play of three good shots. Imagine you've played 30 games of golf. You've now got pretty significant evidence that you're good at golf and pretty good significant evidence which is going to allow you to build up a strong mental game. So understanding and remembering what you're good at and actually keeping notes of that is actually really important because when Tiger twists his club or taps his toe, he's using that as the record button to, re to record the previous 10 seconds so that when it comes to that sort of shot again, he can press the play button and he can recreate that circumstance. There's never going to be a game of golf where you come off and you can't say it could have been this. Yeah. There's always going to be that. Every game of golf that we come off, I had a 73, but it could have been a yeah. 71, or yeah. it could have been, or it should have been. It shouldn't have been anything. It's just the way you, it is. Do you know what I say to? So if I obviously when we have clients could have come been back 90. to us and they say, <laughs> yeah, they say they say that to us, and they say, uh, I say, how did you play in the competition? Obviously, I'll show you sort of a level par. How did you play? And generally, they will say, the, the smart ones don't because they get to know me, they'll generally say, oh, I could have done this. And I say, I don't care what you could have done. And actually, I don't want to hear about your three-putting because that's not entertaining. I'm not entertained by the fact that you three-putted. I'm entertained by the fact that you had five birdies, though. I'd really like to know about that. I'd really like to know that you knocked in a 40-footer on the third. That's exciting for me to listen to. I don't want to know the fact that you three-putted from 10 feet because I know I'm taking that a bit flippantly, but ultimately what I'm saying is, you know, other people don't want to hear what you're talking about, so don't talk about it yourself. And the only reason that, that we wouldn't want to hear it is because we know that's going to do them no benefit. Obviously, we need to acknowledge the faults and the, the areas of that course. we need to work on. We're not saying that, but we understand the power of remembering and talking about the good stuff. Yeah. So that is the key thing. You might be listening to this and thinking, yeah, every time I come in, I always say, I always talk about the shots that I missed. I always talk about the bad yeah. stuff. I don't relive any of the good stuff, but start changing that around. Be the guy in the group who talks about the good stuff, and they're going, God, this guy talks about his good shots all the time. Yeah. Great, that's, that's exactly what you want to do. Nobody wants to hear about those bad ones. That person who's like positive like that, and, and they've done it for a while, and the condition becomes very hard to beat in a game of golf, that's for yeah. sure. Right. Your my, story. My, so my story. So, this is, um, this is, so that was Christmas for you. This story for me is probably about 20 years ago, which I'm finding really hard to comprehend. So when I was still an amateur golfer, um, I was probably about a six handicap or a seven handicap at the time, but I made the decision that I wanted a career in golf. So I, I was already working in the pro shop at Oxley. It was longer than 20 years ago then. And it was, but I'd already made that decision. <laughs> but it was, I think this stage, I think it was around about 20 years. Because what I was looking to do then at that stage, for me, my biggest goal was I want to shoot level par. I'm a six handicapper or maybe a seven or a five, I can't remember. I want to shoot level par. I've never done it and I wanted to do it and I wanted to do it in a competition. So I knew that I'd worked really hard that winter at my game because I was obsessed by golf. I wanted to, you know, every, every day I was thinking about it and whenever I could, even in the winters we were having in, in England, I'd be getting out there and doing some work. So I knew I was playing well, I knew I was ready. But I was getting some bizarre things happening to me, playing golf at Oxley and other tournaments away from there. Whereas I, I would be, there'd be times when I'd be two under, I, I'm gonna give you a couple of examples because you know that you know Oxley, obviously anyone who's, who's played Oxley will know this as well. But the back nine is easier. So if you could get round in, if we were to play it now and we say we were level par on the front nine, we're thinking there's a really good chance we're gonna shoot a good score here because the back nine is birdieable on probably about four or five holes. So 
I'd get on the 12th, for instance, which is 147 yard par three. I had a seven iron in my hands, it was into the wind, I was in a little knockdown shot. I've hit it 30 yards left into the conifers, taking double bogey, going from maybe a couple under to level, and suddenly my round sort of dissolves from there. I've stood on the 15th fairway with a wedge in my hand, and I've hit it in the water left of the green. Now, you're probably listening to me, and if you listen to me now, and if you've played Oxygen, there's no water on the left. Oh no, it's on the tee shot over the water on the 16th. Yeah, it was that far left. It's like, what is, maybe there's something here, the left, the left. Some things never change, to be fair. <laughs> Some things never change. <laughs> but so, and then, but there'd be circumstances like that over and over again, where I'd be getting in really good position, and I'd be like, and in my mind, I'm like, I'm blowing it. I'm going, what am I doing now? This is terrible. So I had to start to sort of think, well, I'm playing well, I'm hitting the ball well, I'm getting in really good position. So in my mindset, with my mindset now, I'll be walking off the golf course going, I'm playing that front nine really well. At the time, that didn't mean anything. All I was thinking about was I'm blowing this. So I, and when Andy said this would be a good idea to do this podcast, I, I got this idea in my head and I'm thinking, well, what did I actually do? Because I had to really think about what I did. And in fact, I need to go to my list because there were a lot of things that I actually did. So I thought hard on this. So, and it's amazing how some of these things that I started to do then, we talk about all the time now. We really, we, you know, when I spoke to my boss at the time who was coaching me, I spoke to a couple of good players in the golf club. Um, so I'm just gonna give you a list of some of the things that I did which helped me eventually get to level par. I still haven't got level par yet? No, I have got level par. So, not attacking the flags. Okay, that makes sense. So I remember on the 15th, the flag that I pulled it into the water, it was back left, the flag was. So it was, I was trying to hit a shot at the left half, I was going for the flag, I was playing well. So not attacking the flags. Leaving full shots in. So there'd be a couple of times when I would, I think the one time I had the 11th and I was just short of the green and I pitched on and three putted and it was just, and I'm thinking, well if I'd have had a full wedge there it would have been a, an easier shot, blah, blah, blah. So leaving full wedge shots in as opposed to having little so mini shots. Playing to your strength. Playing you to my strength. prefer a fuller shot in prefer, there. I always have preferred a fuller wedge shot into the green for sure. Um, this was a really, a really good one. And I'm trying to think of the hole that I did it on because <laughs> there was a few times that I blew my score. And I, I know I did, I know I definitely did it on the 15th after I put it in the water, but I think I did it before. And I think it may have been, I think, it, I'm just trying to remember, it may have been the 13th. So basically when I've played a bad hole, in the competition on a Saturday, by Monday I, can get, I could have guaranteed that I'd played that hole again. And I'd have stood there and worked out how to play it. So going and playing golf by yourself is huge because you can learn so many things about your game, you can then go to these bad holes that you had before and actually you can figure out a plan on how to play that hole differently. What I like quickly, just to, I'll just quickly interrupt there, Piers, is that what I like about that as well is the fact that one of the reasons he would have done that is because he wanted to come off the golf course and have a positive experience on that hole because of how many people play a hole, have a negative experience, they have another negative experience and then they go, I hate that hole. It's a nemesis I hole. Never, I never make, never make a par there. So then they've built this image up in their mind or this mm. thing that isn't real that they can't play this hole well. So that is all about, again, changing it to a positive experience. Yeah. And, and, and this is exactly right, because guess what? I was gonna be playing that hole probably a week later in another competition. The last thing I wanted to do was to be able to, it was to, it was to hit it in the water left on 15. You so a good memory. I, and, and, I, and the good thing about it was when I went there and played it, I remember, remember doing it on the Monday night, the flag was in the same place. They hadn't changed the flag because it was Saturday comp, they then, they then changed the flags on the Tuesday, so I was able to play the same course. And I just hit a load of shots in the middle of the green. And I had, and I, had I think, the longest shots, I mean, a few of them I would have pulled and got close, a few of them I would have pushed and missed the green right. But you missed the green right there, I was probably gonna yeah. get up and down. 
And it was so interesting because these holes on the back nine, as I said earlier, were hard, uh, were easier. But yet, in my head, they were harder because I was there, that's where I was making the mistakes. So I had to rewire how I thought about those holes. If I'd have gone out there and played a friendly game and teed off the ninth and played the back 10 as it was, I'd have been shooting three or four under par. And I'd be going to myself, well, how can I do that when I've shot level par on the front nine? So that was one really good one for you. Make sure you practice it. Uh, da, 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 da. And then I'll go into the, the way that I would, oh no, I'll do these ones first actually. So tee shot strategy, again, I'd be thinking about holes. Um, let me think on a specific hole. I think I had a problem with 10 for a while, pushing it on 10, not hitting it out of bounds or losing the ball, but pushing it on 10 and not being able to make a bogey. So I stood, I remember standing on the right-hand side of the tee and going right on it, because the tee kind of, it was hard to hit it left on 10, but I made sure I had the ability to hit it left on 10. Um, par five strategy as well, just again making sure that I w didn't always have to hit a long shot, a full shot off the tee, because the par fives were quite reachable. So if I hit the fairway, I still had a chance of making sure I could hit the green with the next shot. It might have been a longer club, but I made sure. I mean, often I would hit an iron off the tee on the par fives, and I could still get the yeah. second shot via three wood. So a good thing there is just don't keep playing the same hole the way you do it, if it's not working for you, just change it up, change the tee shot, change, you know, think about doing something different on the ho those holes that can really just shake things up and give you a different approach. I, I would go as far as to say, and I can't confirm this, but I would say that I probably, when I did shoot level par, it wasn't the round that helped me shoot level par, but when I did shoot level par, the one game, I think I might've hit one driver around Oxley. It was obviously a little bit firmer by the yeah. time it got to that, but yeah, so irons off the tee, not a problem. Um, and then, so the two main things, the, so the two main things that I would, I would have done from here to help me shoot this, this score after I'd gone through of getting rid of all these negative thoughts was when I was playing was a pre-shot routine. I worked hard on that. My boss made me work hard on a pre-shot routine. I didn't understand the pre-shot routine even then, but I, I think I had something that allowed me to focus on the shot I was going to hit. I don't understand the routine like I do now. It's a shame that I didn't because it would have been better. But the one thing that I did do, I worked at scoring three holes at a time. So I would have a three hole score and then a reset. So my objective was shoot level par for three holes and then you reset. Yeah. So I wasn't able, now I would be aware, of course I would, if I had four or five three holes in a row when I've shot level par, I know that I'm level par, but I'm not getting on the ninth tee, uh, ninth green, adding it all up and going, oh, level par front nine. If I can just be level par on the back nine, I'm gonna shoot level par. I was doing that and I was working it out in my head and I'm like, hang on a bit. When I found out afterwards how stupid I was, I understood that just, you know, that was just stupid. If I said to you now, you're playing golf, I'm your caddy, and you're on the 13th hole, and I'm looking at your scorecard and going, Dave, guess what? You're on for your best ever score. All you need to do is have a really good last six holes. You'd sack me in a heartbeat because there's no value in that to you. It's gonna make you worse. So yeah, by scoring uh, three hole segments, I think is something you could do, and it definitely did help me. But what happened was, and this is the whole reason for the story, because this stuff did work, and I got to a point where I was, I don't think I even shot level par, I think the first round I shot was a 70, so it was one under. So I was able then to, to, to shoot that target, and then from there it was like the floodgates opened, and it was under par pretty much all the time. Yeah. I, had a, I had a spell of two months where I don't think I shot over par. It was crazy. But that was, then we can remember good. that. No, I can't pretty, remember that. No. I've never remembered. I had, I had, the I had another goal. I had another goal as well, which is to become the lowest handicapper in the club, and I managed to do that by doing that. So yeah, once it once it happened, it was 
it could happen. It was easy. I, 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 and I got to go. I remember the once, and I, was, and I think it was in this spell when I was playing really well, and I had about three or four over par front nine, and I went, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and now my mindset was totally different. It doesn't matter. I'm going to shoot three or four under back nine. Yeah. And I remember doing it, and it was a Thursday comp, and and I just, I just I, at that point, I felt like I could beat anybody. It wasn't the case, obviously, but I felt that yeah. way because I put I put a lot of groundwork in. I put a yeah. lot of positive moves in to allow me to suddenly get to that target. Simple, simple things, a lot of the times, a lot of the times it's the awareness as well, and this is why we want to bring these podcasts to you, because look, sharing a real life experience for us is something that's, that's really worked for us as individuals and golfers. You know, we've played a long time, we've been around the game a long time, and we've experienced a lot, so if we can share with you some of the, some of the real life stories on the golf course, off the golf course, what have really helped but sometimes it's just creating the awareness. You might not have, have realized that every time you finish golf, you might be talking about your bad shots or you might set yourself unrealistic expectations or you might be struggling with some of the things that Pierce was struggling with. Now you've got the awareness and a few tools that you can actually go and, and apply to your game that you should start to see some improvements if you consistently work on them and you know develop these so they become more habitual really because then it starts to become automatic so hope that was useful to you a very different one here I, you know mm. i enjoyed talking about that really you know i actually want to go play back and play oxley now <laughs> that's made me want to go back there all the good memories came flooding back but hopefully you've got something uh, useful that you can apply into your game let us know what was good for you tag us in on socials maybe send us a dm and we'll do as be our best to get back to as many as we can um, but thank you again for tuning in one other thing i would say is if you haven't checked out yet our ultimate irons campaign our brand new coaching plan that's just gone live on meandmygolf.com. It is a, a four-stage plan that has got everything in it to cover your irons, to improve your irons, from ball striking to accuracy to tour pro strategy to equipment, every, every single thing that you need to actually improve your irons. So make sure you head over to the website and check that out because it's been having some great success with a lot of our members yeah. as well. So Doing really do. well. Doing really well. And also, just, just from me, what else do you want us to talk about? Obviously, as Andy said, this is very different. It's not us standing helping fixing golf swings. This is real golf experiences or you know, what do you want us to talk about? What special guests should we get as well? Because we, we are gonna recommit to the podcast this year. Definitely, yes. Thanks for listening guys. Thanks for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you next time. So we hope you enjoyed the podcast and it provided some value to you. Now if it did, then please share it with a friend. If there's somebody out there who you think this will help, then please share it with them. Our mission at Me and My Golf is to help as many golfers as we can. Now, one of the questions that we get asked all the time is how can we get online coaching from YouTube? Well, we built an amazing platform that basically encompasses our coaching philosophy. So what we believe as, as coaches is that we're all unique, we're all different. So what we built is a platform that enables you to find exactly what works for you. We've got several coaching plans on there that where me and Pierce actually coach you week by week, telling you exactly what to practice and really helps you understand your game and reach your goals a little bit easier and there's a shot fixer section on there which really helps you pinpoint some of the faults that you're doing along with an extensive video library with loads of videos and also some articles on there to help your game so it really is a an amazing platform where you can learn find out about your game and really enjoy and be a part of a community where already thousands of people are enjoying it and seeing the results as well so if, if you want to take a look and it feels right for you, then head over to meandmygolf.com. You can actually have a seven-day free trial to check it out. We know you're going to love it. We're on there every day speaking to our members. So head over there now and we'll see you on the next podcast.